What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. It is time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I, of course, am Andrew for America. And today, people, I'm going to start the show with an interview that occurred in 1995 entitled Vision or The Vision of the Anointed. Uh, Gentleman, I forget his name. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Interviewed Mr. Thomas Sowell about his explanation of the vision of the anointed and the origins of wokeism. 1995, okay? Thomas Sowell already saw this stuff coming. And this interviewer is really good. He kind of hits him rapid fire in kind of debate uh, mode. Uh, Hits Thomas Sowell with a bunch of questions on different topics. And Thomas Sowell fields them effortlessly. He's one of the most amazing minds of our time, in my humble opinion. Uh, If you guys like Eric July, Eric July's got a big uh, Shepard Fairy print of Thomas Sowell hanging in the background of his video uh, podcasts. Uh, He's clearly a big fan. And uh, Thomas Sowell is a national treasure, people. If you don't know who he is, don't worry. This episode today is dedicated entirely to the man himself, Mr. Thomas Sowell. And when you're listening to this speech, I want you to pay attention to the term he uses for these quote-unquote anointed ones. These angels that are going to organize society for us in the words of Milton Friedman, right? These elitist, um, upper-class people, uh, Robert Reich, Uh, described them as symbolic analysts. And uh, Sol in this interview is going to say how this group of of people makes symbolic statements. And as soon as there's no need for these symbolic analysts anymore, we would actually arrive at what the people need and what's best for all of us. And Sol's going to touch on that. And then I'm going to read a bunch of Thomas Sowell quotes. I'm going to give you a little personal biography of the man today. You're going to leave this episode knowing everything you need to know. Well, maybe not everything, but a lot about the man, the myth, the legend, Thomas Sowell. Take a listen. This is about a 14-minute long interview that, in my humble opinion, is essential. Thomas Sowell, listening. Take a listen to this. The Vision of the Anointed. Now, that's a... That's an interesting title. Who are the anointed? They are the elite in the media, in, the, in politics. 
Uh, all of those who think that third parties ought to be making people's decisions for them. The subtitle is self-congratulation as a basis for social policy. In other words, people who think that everything that's wrong with the, the country is due to the fact that other people are just not as smart as they are. And if only they could, you know, or people like them could take over and make our decisions, we'd be so much better off. But in the early, in early America, didn't this sort of educated class make the decisions for everybody? As far as governmental decisions, yeah. but the government itself didn't make uh, the decisions for everyone. Uh -huh. Now, uh, you know, you, you can't decide where your kid's going to school. You can't decide whether or not they can move a, a halfway house for drug, for drug users next door to you or whatnot. It's out but, of your control. The government that, decides that's that That's right. Stuff. The government decides too many things. They decide also how your children will be raised. Uh, you may have an idea about how, at what age children should be introduced to sex and in what manner, with what kind of moral commitment. You mean so as on. a parent? You as have a this parent, a parent, yes. Uh, the schools have taken that over. By the time you even think about it, they've already had years, you know, of showing... They're passing out condoms to these kids passing even before Passing out condoms you... is not, not even the half of it. Uh, they're, they're showing uh, motion pictures of naked couples engaging in sex, both homosexual and heterosexual, in the seventh grade. And if you complain about it, that's, that's considered to be censorship. You don't, you, you can't pull your kid out of school and say they don't have to put up with this stuff? I guess you could, no. but you'd be... Uh... Well, if you have a private school to put him in, but you have compulsory attendance laws, and if you don't have the money for private schools, then you're stuck. Where did this country get off the track and decide that the federal government should make most of our decisions? Well, it started to some extent in the New Deal, but I think the 1960s is sort of the golden age, if you want to put it that way, of this whole mindset. And that's what the book's about. It's about a mindset. It's not about a series of policies but of showing how in policy after policy, those who think a certain way will uh, try to take over other people's decisions. How do you characterize the liberal philosophy today from the conservative philosophy? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I guess the main thing about the liberals, again, is that they think a program will do it. If there's something that they don't like in the society, you have set up a program and that will solve the problem. Uh, I think one of the things that, one of the words they use a lot is solutions. And I argue here and elsewhere that there are no, there are no solutions. There are just trade-offs. So, for example, when uh, Ralph Nader launched his attack against the Corvair many years ago, he said it's an unsafe car and it does the, has these safety problems and those safety problems. And in some respects, the, uh, he was correct, not all. Uh, but the fact is, there were other things that a Corvair would do that made it safer than other cars. Uh, and on net balance, it was as safe as the rest of them. Are you saying there are no solutions to our problems as Americans? There are no solutions to anybody's problems. There are trade-offs. You know. Um, Safety is a classic example. Uh, every, every, every year, so many hundreds of thousands of people are, are vaccinated against uh, measles, smallpox, those kinds of things. Now, this saves an several hundred lives that it's estimated. It also causes brain damage to about 30 kids a year. Now, there are no solutions in that. There are just trade-offs. What about now, crime? Take crime as an issue. Can we solve the crime issue or fundamentally solve it so it's reduced? Well, then that, that's, just, that, that's, that's, that's a trade-off. You, know, you, know, you, don't, you don't solve it. There will always be crime. There always has been. Uh, but you want to keep it down to some level that's not this astronomical thing we have today. Uh, for example, the people, the, the liberals right now are saying, you know, crime is eased off uh, in New York, and that's true. Uh, there, were, there were six times as much crime in New York a few years ago as there was in 1960. Now it's down to five times as much crime as there was in 1960. Now, that's not what I regard as a great, as a great, as a great trend, unless it continues a lot, a lot, a lot more strongly. Well, liberals think we need more education, and we need to help people in the inner city more to cut down crime there. Uh, conservatives would say we have to be tougher on crime. Is either of them correct? 
Oh, I, 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 no, see, you see, the conservative view is really not a, not a solution. It's a, it's a trade-off. It says, yes, it would be wonderful if we could do all these things to prevent crime in the first place. We just don't happen to be that smart. And so what we do, we put people behind bars who commit violent crimes. Now, a few years ago in East Palo Alto, which is not far from Stanford University, a minority community, low income, they had the doubtful distinction of being the murder capital of the United States in proportion to their population. Uh, the next year, murder and all sorts of other violent crimes dropped tremendous amount, 30, 40, 50 percent in one year. Now, that wasn't because they discovered the root causes of crime or because they worked out everything that was wonderful. They launched a campaign that put a lot of the bad guys behind bars. And when they were behind bars, they didn't commit as many crimes. <laughs> makes uh, sense to me. And, and the thing that this is, you know, even in a high crime area, the great majority of the people are not criminals. And so if you can just put your hands on those people who are raising all the, all the hell in the community and take them out of circulation, the crime rate drops. People say there's undue uh, emphasis on African-Americans for committing crimes. Is that true? Uh, Ed Koch wrote an all column here that the population is 25% African-American in New York. 62% of the crimes are committed by African-Americans. Is that a, and he says... I haven't, a, I haven't checked his figures, but, but you know, throughout the world, this is, this is, this is not, not unusual, throughout the world, people are disproportionately represented in all kinds of different things. And it's true, obviously, in basketball. It's true in all kinds of other things. Uh, the main thing is not is not to keep people out of jail because they're one race or another, because when you do that, the people who are going to suffer the most will be the black community. Where are you on affirmative action? Against. Why? Well, you can only do one of two things. You can either just uh, judge people individually or you can judge them by groups. This whole notion that you're going to come out with a compromise, I would defy anybody to come out with a compromise on that. You're going to do one of those two things. Now, you can pretend to be doing other things, but that's all you're going to do. That's, those are the only two choices you really have in the end. Uh, again, the people who are the anointed think of this as a symbolic issue, and they want to be on the side of the angels. They don't ask, what are the consequences? Now, I've studied affirmative action programs around the world. One of the consequences is that those people who are more fortunate in the group that has the preferences, those people take the lion's share of the preferences. Very often, those at the other end of the scale, the poorer people, uh, actually fall further behind. That's true of blacks here. It's true of Malays in Malaysia. It's true of various groups in India. And there are reasons for that. Uh, you know, you, you can say you must have certain proportions. Nothing is easier than for an employer who, would, who might otherwise locate, let's say, in the Bronx, to locate out in Provo, Utah, where he will be not near any black people, and therefore he will never have lawsuits, and the jobs will be in Provo, and people will wonder why don't people, you know, uh, here have more jobs. Uh, it never seems to occur to, to liberals that other people are not blocks of wood that when you set up certain incentives, they will react to them in certain ways. And when they do that, the result may be the opposite of what you set out to do. How do the anointed refer to people they don't agree with? All sorts of ways. But I think the main thing is they believe that uh, you're not merely in error but in sin. In other words, they can't believe that you're just mistaken. Uh, you, must have, uh, you must have sold out. You must have, uh, must be something warped about you. You guys are for the rich. Mm. You guys only care about the rich guys. Mm. Uh, answer that. How do, you, how do you respond? Liberal says conservatives only care about rich people. Well, one of the things I go into in the book is that the whole notion of rich is ridiculous. Uh, that most Americans don't stay in the same income bracket, even for one decade. So the same guy who is, quote, rich now was 20 years ago, probably in the bottom 20%. 
I mean, I was on a cruise recently, luxury cruise, and the guy said, you know, if so someone had told me when I was growing up that I would end up on a cruise like this, I would have said, get real, man. You know, that uh, very few people are in that same income bracket the whole time. Right. The genuinely rich and the genuinely poor, I would estimate to be no more than 3% of the American people. Really? Put together. Really? Yes. Genuinely poor. Now, they, I'm seeing numbers like... When they were talking about health care, they said, uh, what, 20, 30 million people couldn't afford it or something? Uh, several million of those were making more than $50,000 a year. So it's not, see, this is one of the things the anointed do. They never believe that people make choices. There are people who, may, who have the money, they, they prefer to put that money into a BMW rather than have rather into A lot of young people didn't want health care. They, they were betting on their health. Uh, absolutely. And yeah. then this allows them to buy more stuff they want to buy. So it's not a question that they couldn't afford it. It's a question they don't choose to spend the money. What about uh, mean-spirited? Conservatives are mean-spirited. They're, they're bigots. They don't like people. Well, you know, one of the things I, I, I tell people, people say, you know, you're, you're, you're a very uh, tough person. I, I'm not tough. Life is tough. I'm merely trying to acquaint you with, the, with those facts. You know, back in the 60s, Lyndon Johnson announced a war on poverty. Mm. Am I wrong, but there are more poor people. I mean, in other words... Today than they were then, yeah. Yeah, there are more poor people. Yes. I mean, this was a hell of a war. We lost it, apparently, because for the last 30 years, we've been dumping money into these poverty programs. Oh, absolutely. Where's the money go? Oh, it, it, it supports a whole industry of people who uh, run those programs, who talk about those programs, who switch those programs, bureaucrats, and so on. Doesn't help poor people. No. Uh, the tragedy, you see, is that the anointed really want to make symbolic statements. And running these programs makes those symbolic statements. They don't really care if, in the, in the wake of affirmative action, for example, companies start locating away from minority communities so they don't even get involved in, in legal action. They don't care about that. They've made their statement on the side of the angels, and that's what's important. Have you ever debated Jesse Jackson? No, I haven't. Is that because, would you like to, or would he not want to do that. I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, I've You'd seen be willing to, I assume. Oh, I, it, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you think that's too much showbiz? It is. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there are people who go out and do this, and I, I'm doing less and less of it. And I tell them the story of an, of an African uh, boxing champion who fought an Irishman in St. Patrick's Day, Day in Dublin. And he lost his title on what the sports writers called a questionable decision. <laughs> yes. And so you have to know what forum you're talking about. Right. I, was, I, was, I saw Shelby Steele on with him, and I said, you know, if Jesse Jackson and Shelby Steele each had to present a two-hour lecture to an audience with an average IQ of 120, Shelby would wipe him out. But if they had five seconds each on Donahue, it would be Jesse Jackson all the way. Really quick, Shelby Steele wrote the book White Fragility. That's who he's referring to here. Right. So everything depends upon the forum. Uh, is Jesse Jackson good for African Americans or no, not? He's, he's not. good for himself. Good for himself. And that's true of most ethnic leaders in most groups in most countries in most periods of history. That what will make what will serve his interest is to keep people paranoid, dependent upon him, dependent upon government. What will serve their interest is typically just the opposite. That's pretty interesting. So you're saying that the, the leaders, whatever group, yeah, whatever yeah. Leader, wants the people to be poor and dependent on them as opposed to dependent on themselves. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, you see this in the greatest cynicism in the academic world, where in many places, uh, black uh, organizations on campus have a say on who gets admitted. And they have turned down blacks with excellent credentials, both as students and as faculty members. Uh, for that very reason. Who are the mascots of the anointed? You talk about the mascots of the anointed. They're people whom, whom they choose to um, 
back and whose rights are supposed to override other people's rights. The homeless are a classic example. Uh, I'm, I'm appalled when I see people out there in the street uh, uh, giving money to, to the home. I'm able-bodied men. Yeah. I think one of the classic pictures to me uh, was in San Francisco when there was this uh, able-bodied white man out in the street begging. And there's this black lady coming along there, uh, very modestly dressed like she didn't have, but she's stopping to open her purse to give him some money, you know. And I thought, good heavens, have we really come to this? And we've been brainwashed by the anointed into thinking this is what we ought to do. What do you say to guys who bum money off of it? Not all of it can be repeated on, on, on the air. <laughs> but the fact is they don't get any money. They don't. And, I, and people who complain now about all these people begging in the street, as a simple answer, don't give them money and they won't be in the street. When you wrote this, what were you trying to accomplish with the book and did you do it? Did, were you nailing liberals for 30 years of social policy? What were you trying to say? I was trying to reveal the thinking behind that, the kinds of assumptions, the kind of world that exists inside their mind, and therefore why those assumptions are so dangerous in the long run. It's not just the policies mentioned in, those, in that, in that they book. They think they're better than everybody else. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. Uh, and that's what makes them dangerous. Uh, even all the policies that are mentioned there, 20 years from now, those policies may not be the policies we're concerned about. But that mindset will still be there. And what makes them tremendously dangerous is that facts that contradict what they believe are simply ignored or evaded. Where does the press fall into this as the anointed group? Are they part of the Oh, United? absolutely. They're a major part of it because one of the reasons that people don't get many of the facts that go against what's believed is that the press doesn't choose to publicize those facts. Give me an example of something the press might not cover or cover well. Oh, a few years, a few years ago there was a story about um, prenatal care among blacks, that black women get less prenatal care than white women, infant mortality rate is higher among blacks. They immediately assume that one causes the other. Now, I, now I, one of the things I like to do is go back to the original source and find out what it said. I went back. On the very same page where it said that, it sh the, the figures showed Mexican-Americans get even less prenatal care than blacks, and they have a lower infant mortality rate than whites. So infant mort prenatal care and infant mortality rate have nothing to do with each other. If you break it down further, uh, black women who have only a high school education but who are married, their children have lower infant mortality rates than white women who have a college education who are unwed mothers. So it's not race, it's not income, it's not education, it's lifestyle. When you live a certain way, there are consequences to that. The media doesn't want to, want to, want to accept that. Because if you say people's lifestyles have a lot to do with the outcome, then there's no room for the anointed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, sorry, I was having fun with sound effects. Uh, hopefully that wasn't too much applauding. Uh, <laughs> I was applauding with my uh, sound effects every time I thought Mr. Thomas Sowell made a great point. Uh, so let's learn a little bit about the man himself, Thomas Sowell. And uh, really quick, uh, Shelby Steele wrote the book White Guilt, Not White Fragility. Sorry, I made a mistake. Let's move on and let's learn about a little history of the man, Mr. Thomas Sowell. Here we go. Thomas Sowell, born June 30th, 19, 1930, is an American author, economist, political commentator, and senior fellow at Stanford University's 
Hoover Institute. And uh, if you'll remember a few episodes back when I played a little bit of that Donahue and Milton Friedman uh, interview, and uh, Milton Friedman was talking about the Hoover Institute, uh, he was talking about this, Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Uh, Thomas Sowell was born in Gastonia, North Carolina, to a poor family. Later growing up in Harlem, New York, due to financial issues and deteriorated home conditions, he dropped out of Stuyvesant High School, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and served in the Marine Corps during the Korean War. Served his country honorably. Upon returning to the United States, Seoul took night classes at Howard University before attending Harvard University, graduating magna cum laude in 1958. He earned his master's degree in economics from Columbia the next year and received a doctorate in economics from the University of Chicago in 1968. Seoul served on the faculties of several universities, including Cornell, Amherst, University of California, Los Angeles, and currently Stanford. He has also worked at think tanks such as the Urban Institute. Since 1977, he has worked at the Hoover Institute at Stanford where he is the Rose and Milton Friedman Senior Fellow on Public Policy. Though often described as a conservative, Sowell said he may best be labeled as a libertarian, though he disagrees with libertarians on some issues. He was influential to the new conservative movement during the Reagan era, influencing fellow economist Walter Williams and U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Sowell was offered a presidential position in the Nixon administration and as, or I'm sorry, as Federal Trade Commission uh, by the Ford administration in 76, but declined both offers. Similarly, he was ordered to head the U.S. Department of Education as Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan, but he refused to take that position as well. He was a recipient of the National Humanities Medal from George W. Bush in the year 2022. And, people, Thomas Sowell is the author of more than 45 books and has been a syndicated columnist in more than 150 newspapers. People, 45. Five, <laughs> 45 books this man has written in his life. And when you look at the timeline, he wrote his first book in 1971 entitled Economics, Analysis, and Issues. Uh... The last book he wrote was Charter Schools and Their Enemies that he wrote in the year 2020. And when you look at this timeline, people, between the years 1971 and 
the year 2020. Every one to two years, this man has released a book on the market. 1971, economics, analysis and issues. 72, black education, myths and tragedies. 72, also, Say's Law, a historical analysis. Two years later, 74, classical economics reconsidered. 75, race and economics. A little jump here, five years later, 1980, knowledge and decisions. 81, ethnic America, a history 81, Markets and Minorities, 81, Pink and Brown People, and Other Controversial Essays, 83, The Economics and Politics of Race, 84, Civil Rights, Rhetoric or Reality, 85, Marxism, Philosophy and Economics, 86, Education, 87, A Conflict of Visions, Ideological Origins, of political struggles. People, this is the book that changed the way that I thought about a lot of things. And I highly recommend my fellow Americans. You call yourself an American? You believe in the promise of America? You have an earnest desire to save the world. Do yourself a favor and go pick up the book, A Conflict of Visions, Ideological Origins of Political Struggles. And I might talk about that book, actually, uh, on a later show. Uh, Today, I want to get through some quotes and his bibliography. After A Conflict of Visions, 87, he wrote Compassion versus Guilt and Other Essays, uh, 1990, Preferential Policies, International Perspective, 93, Inside American Education, uh, 93 also, Is Reality Optional, <laughs> 95, Race and Culture, A Worldview, 1995, The Vision of the Anointed, Self-Congratulation as a Basis for Social Policy. This is the book that he's talking about in this 14-minute clip interview I just played. For you good, fine, intelligent, truth-seeking people. You should go pick up that book, too. 1996, Migrations and Cultures, A Worldview. 98, Conquests and Cultures in International History. 98, Late Talking Children. 99, The Quest for Cosmic Justice. 2000, A Personal Odyssey. And also in the year 2000, Basic Economics, A Citizen's Guide to the Economy. Go pick up that book. In 2004, he revised it and expanded it. And in 2007, they released a third edition. So this is a textbook that is probably taught in schools. Not just a book for occasional, uh, you know, 
informative reading. Thomas Sowell is a big deal, people, and that's why I'm talking about him. African-American man. Awake, (laughs) but not woke. Get it? And then in 2002, he wrote controversial essays. Then he wrote The Einstein Syndrome, Bright Children Who Talk Late. That's another one of his themes. Uh, 2003, Applied Economics, Thinking Beyond Stage 1. 2004, Affirmative Action Around the World, An Empirical Study. 2005, Black, Rednecks, and White Liberals. (laughs) 2006, Ever Wonder Why? And Other Controversial Essays. 2006, On Classical Economics. 2007, A Man of Letters. 2008, Applied Economics, Thinking Beyond Stage 1. 2008, Economic Facts and Fallacies. 2009, The Housing Boom and Bust. 2010, Dismantling America and Other Controversial Essays. 2010, Intellectuals and Society. 2011, The Thomas Sowell Reader. 2011, Economic Facts and Fallacies, Second Edition. Probably good idea to take a look at that one. 2013, Intellectuals and Race. 2015, Wealth, Poverty, and Politics, and International Perspective. Second edition, released the next year, 2016. That's another one. Essential Soul Reading. 2018, uh, Discrimination and Disparities. Revised in large version, he revised... Uh, I'm sorry, he released in 2019, and then in 2020, he wrote the book, Charter Schools and Their Enemies. Okay, so people, this man, (laughs) every year since 1971, 1971 was a turning point, pivotal year in this country, boy, Um, ever since 1971, this man has written one or two books, people, you think you can't do it? You think you can achieve your lofty goals in this life? Oh, it's too hard. The world, it's too tough. It's too hard to uh, do anything. Everyone's against me. The world's so difficult and evil. Everyone's a racist, sexist, misogynist. Excuse, 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 excuse. It's not that you can't do it. It's that... It's that you you won't. You believe that you can't do something. And I've said it before. If you believe you can't do something, you are absolutely right. You can't. Okay. Um, A little bit more about Thomas Sowell. Let's talk about his writings and thought his uh, economic and political ideology. And we'll see where we are on time. Okay, here we go. Themes of Soul's writing range from social policy on race, ethnic groups, education, decision-making, and decision-making, to classical and Marxian economics, to the problems of children perceived as having disabilities. Soul had a nationally syndicated column distributed by Creator Syndicate that was published in Forbes Magazine, National Review, Wall Street Journal, 
Washington Times, the New York Post, and other major newspapers, as well as online uh, websites such as Real Clear Politics, Town Hall, World Net Daily, and the Jewish World Review. Sol commented on current issues which included liberal media bias, judicial activism, in intact dilation and extraction, uh, descri- I'm sorry, commonly known and described as U.S. federal law, uh, minimum wage, universal health care, attention between government policies, programs, and protections, and fam- familial autonomy, affirmative action, government bureaucracy, gun control, militancy in U.S. foreign policy, the war on drugs, multiculturalism, etc. According to the Journal of Blacks in Higher Education, Seoul is the most cited black economist ever between 1991 and 1995 specifically and the second most cited black economist between the years of 1971 and 1990. On December 27th, 2016, Seoul announced the end of his syndicated column, writing that at age 86, quote, the question is not why I am quitting, but why I kept at it for so long, unquote. And cited a focus, I'm sorry, and cited a desire to focus on his photography hobby, a documentary detailing his career entitled Thomas Sowell, Common Sense in a Senseless World was released on January 25th, 2021 by the Free to Choose Network. I highly recommend you go check that documentary out. Until the spring of 1972, Sowell was a registered Democrat after which he then left the Democratic Party and resolved not to associate with any political party ever again, stating, quote, I was so disgusted with both candidates that I didn't vote at all, unquote. Though he was often described as a black conservative, Sowell said, I prefer not to have labels but I suspect that libertarian would suit me better than many others. Although I disagree with the libertarian movement on a number of things, he has been described as one of the most prominent advocates of contemporary classical liberalism, along with Friedrich Hayek and Larry Arnhart. Sol primarily writes on economic subjects, generally advocating a free market approach to capitalism. Sol opposes the Federal Reserve, arguing that it has been unsuccessful in preventing economic depressions and limiting inflation. <laughs> Boy, that is an understatement, sir. Sowell described his study of Karl Marx in his autobiography. As a former Marxist 
who early in his career became disillusioned with it, he emphatically opposes Marxism, provides a critique in his book, providing a critique in his book, Philosophy, I'm sorry, Marxism, Philosophy, and Economics, released in 1985. Sowell has also written a trilogy of books on ideologies and political positions, including a conflict of visions in which he speaks on the origins of political strife, the vision of the anointed in which he compares the conservative, libertarian, and liberal progressive worldviews, and the quest for cosmic justice in which as in many of his other writings, he outlines his thesis of the need felt by intellectuals, politicians, and leaders to fix and perfect the world in utopian and ultimately, he posits, disastrous fashions. Separate from the trilogy, but also in discussion of the subject, he wrote Intellectuals and Society building on his earlier career in which he discusses what he argues to be the blind hubris and follies of intellectuals in a variety of areas. In his book, Knowledge and Decisions, the winner of the 1980 Law and Economics Center Prize, his was heralded as a landmark work selected for this prize because of its cogent contribution to our understanding of the differences between the market process and the process of government. That's number four. Top four Thomas Sowell essential books to start with. Start with the trilogy and then go to Knowledge and Decisions. In announcing the award, the center acclaimed Soul, whose contribution to our understanding of the process of regulation alone would make the book important. But in re-emphasizing the diversity and efficiency that the market makes possible, his work goes deeper and becomes even more significant. F.A. Hayek once wrote, in a wholly original manner, Soul succeeds in translating abstract and theoretical argument into highly concrete and realistic discussion of the central problems of contemporary economic policy. Sowell opposes the imposition of minimum wages by governments, arguing in his book Basic Economics that unfortunately the real minimum wage is always zero regardless of the laws. And that is the wage that many workers receive in the wake of the creation of escalation of a government-mandated minimum wage because they either lose their jobs or fail to find jobs when they enter the labor force. I know that this is a very controversial talking point between the left and the right and the free From now on, I'm going to describe my fellow Americans in three buckets. Democrat, Republican, or free. 
I like it. I kind of like it. Thomas Sowell goes further to argue that minimum wages disproportionately affect members of racially I'm sorry, I'm sorry, members of racial or ethnic minority groups that have been discriminated against. He asserts that before federal minimum wage laws were instituted in the 1930s, the black unemployment rate was slightly lower than the white unemployment rate in 1930. But then followed that the Davis-Bacon Act of 1931, the National Industrial Recovery Act, the NIRA of 1933, and the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA of 1938, all of which impose government-mandated minimum wage laws, either on a particular sector or more broadly. By 1954, black unemployment rates were double those of whites and have continued to be at the that at that level or higher. Why do you think that is, people? I'll give you a head start on why that is. Go research the career of Lyndon Baines Johnson and prepare to have your eyes opened quite wide. <laughs> quite widely. Uh, where was I? Those particular hard hit by the resulting unemployment have been black teenage males. Sol also favors favors decriminalization of all drugs. He opposes gun control laws, arguing on net balance they do not save lives; they cost lives. I could not agree more. Gun control laws are going to cost a lot of lives, much like minimum wage laws have not eliminated, they have created more poverty, more unemployed. I'm thinking about opposites and inversion right now. Those of you truth seekers out there know what I mean. Let's move on. Thomas Sowell argues that systemic racism is an untested, questionable hypothesis that is a piece of propaganda pushed on the American people. Sowell has said that it really has no meaning that can be specified and tested in the way that one tests hypotheses. And it's one of many words that I don't think even the people who use it have any clear idea of what they are saying or what it means. <laughs> oh boy, language shapes reality, people. He has argued that it is a propaganda tactic akin to those used by Joseph Goebbels because it comes with an attitude that it must be repeated and repeated and repeated long enough and loud enough until it is believed and people cave to it eventually. If that doesn't make you think that America might be 
the location of the rise of the Fourth Reich people, I don't know what will. In several of his works, including The Economics and Politics of Race, 1983, Ethnic America, 1981, Affirmative Action Around the World, 2004, and other books, Soul challenges the notion that black progress is due to progressive government programs or policies. Let me repeat that. In these books, Soul challenges the notion that black progress is due to progressive government programs or policies. He claims that many problems identified with blacks in modern society are not unique, neither in terms of American ethnic groups nor in terms of a rural proletariat struggling with disruption as it became urbanized, as discussed in his book, Black, Rednecks, and White Liberals. Sowell also writes on racial topics typically critical of affirmative action and race-based quotas. One of the few policies that can be said to harm virtually every group in a different way. Obviously, whites and Asians lose out when you have preferential admission for black students or Hispanic students in colleges, but blacks and Hispanics lose out because what typically happens is the students who have all the credentials to succeed in college, whether objectively or figuratively, uh, are admitted to colleges where the standards are so much higher that they fail. That's pretty controversial. But that's Thomas Sowell, people. In Intellectuals and Race 2013, Sowell argues that the IQ gaps are hardly startling or unusual between or within ethnic groups. He notes that the roughly 15-point gap in contemporary black versus white IQ scores is similar to that between the national average and the scores of certain ethnic white groups in years past in periods when the nation was absorbing new immigrants. So that's also controversial. And that reminds me of uh, what Stefan Molyneux, empiricist philosopher, got in trouble for. Cancel culture came after him simply for studying, study, I'm sorry, simply for stating the results of these studies. He said it was one of the most settled metrics in all of science. And according to this, Write up about Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell would agree with him. This shit is bananas. Uh, okay, let's move on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. Let's get through this. Uh, I'm, I'm dragging, dragging ass right now. Uh, here we go. 2009 in a 2009 column titled "The Bush Legacy," Sowell assessed President George W. Bush as a mixed bag. <laughs> but an honorable man. Thomas Sowell, I might have to respectfully disagree with you on George W. Bush being an honorable man. Maybe you know him better than I do. Whatever. Okay, let's move on. Sowell was strongly critical of Republican uh, presidential nominee Donald Trump and begrudgingly 
endorsed Tom, oh, I'm sorry, Tom Cruise, <laughs> Tom Cruise, <laughs> Ted Cruz in the 2016 Republican presidential primary, criticizing him as well and stating that we can only make our choices among those actually available. This is exactly why I fucking hate political parties, people. This is why I can't effing stand Republicans and Democrats. And what I can't stand even more than Republicans and Democrats are you American people who still believe in these two big club establishment parties. The politicians are put there to make you think that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have owners. They own you. Sol indicated that he would vote in the general election against Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton due to fears about the appointments Clinton would possibly make to the Supreme Court. Interesting. In 2020, Sol wrote that if the Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election, it could signal a point of no return for the United States, a tipping point akin to the fall of the Roman Empire. In an interview in July of 2020, he stated that the Roman Empire overcame many problems in its long history, but eventually it reached a point where it could no longer continue, and much of what and much of that was from within. Not just the barbarians attacking from the outside. Sol wrote that if Biden became president, the Democratic Party would have an, enor- an enormous amount of control over the nation. And if this happened, they could twin with the radical left and ideas such as defunding the police could come to fruition. In 2018, he named George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan, and Calvin Coolidge as the only presidents he ever liked. Hmm. Quite fascinating. Okay, people. Uh, I think I got to take a break. Uh, I'm going to knock out an anchor commercial. And when I get back, Uh, I'm going to hit you with a shitload of quotes from the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Dr. Professor, Statesman, Scholar, Legend, Thomas Sowell. I'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People, welcome back. Uh, I want to read a little bit more about Thomas Sowell, then I'm going to get to some quotes about the man. Uh, So here we go. Thomas Sowell has written about education throughout his career. He has argued for the need for reform of the school system in the United States. In his latest book, Charter Schools and Their Enemies, Sowell compares the educational outcomes of school children educated at charter schools with those of conventional public schools. In his research, Sowell first explains the need and his methodology for choosing comparable students, both ethnically and socioeconomically, before listing his findings. He presents the case that charter schools on the whole do significantly better in terms of educational outcomes than conventional schools. Hmm. I wonder why that is. My first guess would be because government indoctrination centers are not intended and never were intended to educate you effectively. I've been over it on this show. I can't get off of it. The public school system in this country is, pardon my French, a fucking joke. And if you love your kids, you better get them the fuck out of those indoctrination centers as soon as humanly possible, people, because we are running out of time. Take a deep breath, Andrew. I get the stuff. The stuff works me up, people. It's getting tense out there. Sowell argues that many U.S. schools are failing children. Contends that indoctrination has taken place. It has taken the place of proper education. And argues that teachers' unions have promoted harmful education policies. Amen. No wonder Thomas Massey just proposed a bill a month or so ago to eliminate the Department of Education. The former Trump head of the apart of the Department of uh, Education, the Department, the Department of Education, uh, uh, Betsy DeVos, multi-millionaire. She now says we should ab- <laughs> abolish 
<laughs> the department that I once was the head of. Uh, I feel like I'm living in bizarro world taking crazy pills. Thomas Sowell contends that many schools have become monopolies for educational bureaucracies. In his book, Education, Assumptions versus History, Sowell analyzes the education, I'm sorry, the state of education in U.S. schools and universities. In particular, he examines the experiences of blacks and other ethnic groups in the American educational system and identifies the factors and patterns behind both successes and failures. Okay. Education thing gets me it gets me hot, people. You guys know that about me. I've talked about it a million times. Uh, Sam Winchester gets mad at me when I call it education. It's indoctrination, people. It is re-education. It is like the old Soviet CCP camps. CCC? CCCP? Whatever. You better start paying attention to what these public schools are teaching your kids, people. I know you're busy. I know it's hard. I know you got jobs. I know that occupationally orphaned children was the plan all along of compulsory government education. Sorry, Sam, if you're listening. Sorry, Sam. Not education. Indoctrination. Fuck, I got to move on. Uh, okay. <laughs> Classical liberals, libertarians, and conservatives of different disciplines have received Soul's work positively. Among these, he has been noted for his originality, great depth and breadth, clarity of expression, and thoroughness of research. Soul's publications have been received positively by economists Stephen Plout. Stephen H. Hankey, James Buchanan, James Buchanan. (laughs) I'm sure Noam Chomsky would have some thoughts on that reception. Uh, John B. Taylor, uh, philosophers Carl Cohen, uh, Tiber McCann, science historian Michael Shermer, Essayist Gerald Early, political scientists Abigail Thernstorm and Charles Murray, psychologist Steven Pinker and Jonathan Haidt, Joseph Jaffe, publisher and editor of Die Zeit, and Walter Williams, professor of economics at George Mason University. Conversely, economist James B. Stewart wrote a critical review of black rednecks and white liberals, calling it, quote, the latest salvo and Thomas Sowell's continuing crusade to represent allegedly dysfunctional value orientations and behavioral characteristics of African Americans as the principal reasons reasons for persistent economic and social disparities, unquote. Hmm. Interesting. He also criticized it for downplaying the impact of slavery, which obviously is going to be the criticism from the left or from anybody who disagrees, I guess. Uh, economist Bernadette Chacher, Chacher? Uh, law professor Richard Thompson Ford, and sociologists William Julius Wilson and Richard Coughlin have criticized some of his work. Weird. 
Sociologists, no way. <laughs> Criticisms include neglecting discrimination against women in the workplace in uh, rhetoric or reality, the methodology of race and culture, a worldview, and portrayal of opposing theories in intellectuals and race. You can't be Thomas Sowell without haters. And I've said it before, people, you can't be achieving anything in your life if you don't got haters, people. I think it was Cat Williams that once said, that's what haters, that's what a job of a hater is, to hate. Haters gonna hate. And if you got haters, probably means you're doing something right. Economist Jennifer Doliak criticized discrimination and disparities, arguing that statistical discrimination is real and pervasive. Sol argues that existing racial disparities are due to accurate sorting based on underlying characteristics, such as education. Oh, God, they, li- they love reaching. Oh, they love reaching. Reach, reach, reach. And that government intervention can achieve societal goals and make markets work more Efficiently. (laughs) Hey, economist Jennifer Doliak, you have an open invitation to come on to my show and let's have a conversation about government intervention into education and how it can achieve societal goals and make markets work more efficiently. Government intervention can make markets work more efficiently, people. That's how you define the left, in my humble opinion. This ridiculous, immature, fictitious, in my humble opinion, belief that government intervention in the market can make the market work more efficiently. What a fucking joke. What a joke. Let's debate it. I don't give a shit who you are. You want to come on my show and prove that fact to me? You want to come on my show and get me off of government intervention, can achieve societal goals, and make markets work more efficiently? You think that's true? You think that's true? Open invitation. Come to my show. I will give you the open uninterrupted floor. I won't say a word until you are finished. Prove it. Prove to me and to society how and why and when (laughs) government intervention in the market made it work more efficiently and achieved societal Goals. Get the fuck out of here with this shit. Boy, I'm hot. Boy, I'm hot. I'm hot. I can't. Oh, people, this stuff gets me hot. Because it's so clear to me. And I am flabbergasted, baffled as to how it's not more apparent. To all of you. 
But if I had to guess, why? What the reasons are. It would probably be the reality of compulsory government indoctrination centers. It would probably be because of the mainstream media propaganda purposely put there to distract you, to indoctrinate you, to get you as far away from independent critical analysis as possible. They want obedient workers, passive pupils. The Horace Manns and the John Deweys of the world. (laughs) You gotta be kidding me, people. Steve Forbes, in a 2015 column, stated that it's a scandal that economist Thomas Sowell has not been awarded the Nobel Prize. No one alive has turned out so many insightful, richly researched books. People, you got to read books. Everything is in books. Okay. Let's move on. It's time for some Thomas Sowell quotes. And boy... (laughs) They are infinite, endless. I have a folder in my computer of uh, interesting Thomas Sowell memes and quotes and uh, little excerpts that I've saved over time, and it is pages long. It's ridiculous. In fact, if you guys get online and look at Thomas Sowell's Wikipedia, boy, it's the longest Wikipedia uh, write-up I've ever seen. And for good, well-deserved reason. Okay, here we go. Thomas Sowell quotes. Here's the first one. The left takes its vision seriously, more seriously than it takes the rights of other people. They want to be our shepherds, but that requires us to be sheep. Quote, unquote. The left takes its vision very seriously, people. More seriously than it takes the rights of other people. They want to be our shepherds, but that requires us to be sheep. Completely agree. The hypocrisy and the arrogance and the narcissism and the... You know, being holier than thou, whatever. These are the characteristics of a lot of people in this country these days on the left. Not all. I promised I wasn't going to lump all lefties into the same progressive bucket. Um, okay, here's another one. People often make the fatal error of confusing victimhood with virtue. They line up on the side of the victim 
instead of lining up on the side of a moral principle. Yet nothing has been more common in history than for victims to become oppressors when they gain power. And that was from his book, Race and Culture, A Worldview. Don't confuse victimhood with virtue, people. They are not the same thing. Uh, Here we go. Quote, ours may become the first civilization destroyed not by the power of our enemies, but by the ignorance of our teachers and the dangerous nonsense they are teaching our children. In an age of artificial intelligence, they are creating artificial stupidity. Love that one. Quote, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear, unquote. Too much of what is called education is little more than an expensive isolation from reality. (laughs) That was soul on the college's and public schools that have injected their education uh, with anti-American values and new leftism. That's why it's incumbent on parents like us, like-minded people, to hand our values down to the next generation. People, parents, you got to teach your kids. You can't rely on the government to teach your kids everything that they need to know. They are not being prepared for the real world. If you're not teaching them the stuff that your public education, your public school system is leaving out on purpose, who's going to do it? Whose responsibility is it to do it? I don't know. Here we go. What do you call it when someone steals someone else's money secretly? Theft. What do you call it when someone takes someone else's money openly by force? Robbery. What do you call it when a politician takes someone else's money in taxes and gives it to someone who is more likely to vote for him or her? Social justice. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, okay, here's another one. As for gun control advocates, I have no hope whatever that any facts whatever will make the slightest dent in their thinking or lack of thinking. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Socialism in general has a record of failure so blatant that only an intellectual could ignore it or evade it. (laughs) You're so fucking smart, aren't you? Have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born? 
while other people are not held responsible at all for what they themselves are doing today. <laughs> I mean, it's people, it's, it's really not that tough. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. You know, don't fix it if it ain't broke. Oh, boy. Uh, When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. I already read that one. But, you know, what do you think the media is telling you the truth? Or do you think they're telling you what they want you to hear? If gun control zealots had any respect for facts... They would have discovered this long ago because there have been too many factual studies over the years to leave any serious doubt about gun control laws being not merely futile but counterproductive. Guns are not the problem. People are the problem, including people who are determined to push gun control laws, either in ignorance of the facts or in defiance of the facts. One of the sad signs of our times is that we have demonized those who produce, subsidized those who refuse to produce, and canonized those who complain. Those are those symbolic analysts, those elitists, I keep talking about that need the social programs to justify their existence. (laughs) One of the most important reasons for studying history is that virtually every stupid idea that is in vogue today has been tried before and proved disastrous before, again and again. Time and time again. Yeah, people. uh, Socialism, communism has been tried 70 plus times throughout history. Various nations around this world. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. You can go look it up. Some argue that China is one of the most successful communist countries ever. Definitely the most successful in the world today. Some may say. But are they purely communist? Do they exercise capitalism? And if so, is it free market? Capitalism? And if you don't know the answers to those questions, my fellow Americans, I highly recommend you learn them very quickly. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. We're repeating history in many, many ways right now as we speak here in the 21st century modern world today. No society ever thrived because it had a large and growing class of parasites 
living off of those who produce. That's that elitist symbolic analyst class I keep talking about. Thomas Sowell describes them as parasites. Here's Thomas Sowell on inflation. Inflation is a quiet but effective way for the government to transfer resources from the people to itself without raising taxes. They're, they're, double, they're, they're double whammying us right now, people, because not only are they exercising a intentional policy of inflation, make no mistake, I've been over it a hundred times, inflation is intentional. It's not a result of market activity, people. It's a result of outside interference into the market. And it does transfer resources from the people to the government without raising taxes. But guess what? Biden's going to raise taxes also. People, if you don't think that this is not the planned destruction of America that you and I are witnessing occur right now as we speak, you're walking through life with blinders on having tunnel vision, you refuse to face the truth. You are blinded by the mainstream media propaganda, the magicians casting spells, telling you lies. You idiots believe those lies. Just because it's on TV. Oh, if it's on TV... It must be the absolute truth. It must be fact, right? Oh, boy. If you have been voting for politicians who promise to give you goodies at someone else's expense, then you have no right to complain when they take your money and give it to someone else, including themselves. It is so easy to be wrong and to persist in being wrong when the costs of being wrong are paid by others. And that's the biggest problem with these elitist symbolic analysts, people. They pay no price for being wrong. You pay the price when they're wrong. The most basic question is not what is best. But who shall decide what is best? People, very few words. Almost complete and total summation of the big, I would uh, say the biggest question that we should be asking ourselves. All you lefties, all you righties, all you centrists, libertarians, whatever. Fuck the parties. Fuck the labels. Here's the question. Who shall decide what is best for you, for me, for all of us? Do we want it to be a little intellectual elite that live up on a 
hill in an ivory tower who face no consequences for being wrong. In fact, they'll even legislate and they will make law for that. They can't be tried in a court of law if they're wrong. When government gets in bed with big business, fascism occurs. This is the shit. Corporatism, crony capitalism, etc., etc., etc. Oh, boy. Some things are believed because they are demonstrably true. But many other things are believed simply because they have been asserted repeatedly. How many times have we been over that? Mind control, Operation Mockingbird, uh, Joseph Goebbels, the Nazis. You repeat a lie enough times, it eventually becomes, you know, fact or believed in the minds of the unwashed, gullible Idiot, belligerent masses. (laughs) George W. Bush said, if you say something enough times, people start to believe it. Freedom is unlikely to be lost all at once and openly. It is far more likely to be eroded away, bit by bit, amid glittering promises and expressions of noble Ideals. That might be one of my favorite Thomas Sowell quotes right there. That's another way of saying slow usurpations over time. That's how they do it. They're not going to hit you with everything all at once, people. Here's a little quote by Thomas Sowell. It was Thomas Edison who brought us electricity, not the Sierra Club. It was the Wright brothers who got us off the ground, not the Federal Aviation Administration. It was Henry Ford who ended the isolation of millions of Americans by making the automobile affordable, not Ralph Nader. Those who have, who have helped the poor the most have not been those who have gone around loudly expressing compassion for the poor, but those who found ways to make industry more productive and distribution more efficient so that the poor of today can afford things that the affluent of yesterday could only dream about. People, clearly, that is Thomas Sowell pulling from Milton Friedman's famous quote about the free enterprise system that I have repeatedly cited, stated on this show in the past. Thomas Sowell, people. Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell's punk rock, people. Thomas Sowell's punk rock, believe it or not. His actions are the evidence What this man has done and said and accomplished in his life is the proof. It is amazing how many people think that they can answer an argument by attributing bad motives to those who disagree with them. Using this kind of reasoning, you can believe or not believe anything about anything 
without having to bother to deal with the facts or logic. Quote, unquote, Thomas Sowell. Here's Thomas Sowell on minimum wage laws. If you want to see the poor remain poor, generation after generation, just keep the standards low in their schools and make excuses for their academic shortcomings and personal misbehavior. But please don't congratulate yourself on your quote-unquote compassion. (laughs) I guess that's not minimum wage laws. My bad. That's on the educational system. I was getting ahead of myself. And you guys notice... Notice in these Thomas Sowell quotes how much of uh, subject matter I've covered on this show in the past. Thomas Sowell clearly seconds a lot of my claims. (laughs) Just turns out we're like-minded individuals for one reason or another. Politics is the art of making your selfish desires seem like the national interest. (laughs) Thomas Sowell, people. I love that one. Would you uh, agree with me that I think there's a chance Thomas Sowell's talking about the progressive left right there? You want to make your selfish desires seem like the national interest. I cannot understand people who say that minorities should be represented everywhere and yet are upset when there are blacks represented in the conservative Movement. That is a very interesting, telling quote. And that reminds me of that whole LBJ conversation that I brought up previously. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Here's one of my faves from Thomas Sowell. The first lesson of economics is scarcity. There is never enough of anything to satisfy all of those who want it. The first lesson of politics, though, is to disregard the first lesson of economics. (laughs) If Democrats understood economics, they wouldn't be Democrats. You've heard that quote before, I'm sure. A lot of you lefties just don't get economics. I I get it. Math is hard. I know. Understanding human behavior is difficult. I get it. I get it. But you should probably, you know, you should probably learn it at some point, don't you think? Mystical references to society and its programs to help may warm the hearts of the gullible. But what it really means is putting more power in the hands of bureaucrats. And this is probably one of my favorite Thomas Sowell quotes. What is history? but the story of how politicians have squandered the blood and treasure of the human race. The last person to trust with power is someone who is dying to have it. The best person to wield power is someone who is reluctant to do so, but who will do it for a while as a civic duty. That is why term limits should make it impossible to have a whole career in politics. Amen. And uh, this is another one of my faves. Envy 
was once considered to be one of the seven deadly sins before it became one of the most admired virtues under its new name, Social Justice. (laughs) Emotions neither prove nor disprove facts. There was a time when any rational adult understood this. But years of dumbed-down education and emphasis on how people feel have left too many people unable to see through this media gimmick. There should be a special contempt for those who sit in safety and comfort, second-guessing at their leisure the split-second decisions that policemen had to make at the risk of their own lives. I like that quote. For all of the uh, anti-police, abolish the police, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera, conversations that occur in our society, I think we all have something to learn from this quote. We're all human people. We all need to be there for each other. We all need to support each other. And it would be a lot easier to do that if we had a government that also supported those goals rather than supported their own goals. People, it doesn't matter if you're a lefty or if you're a righty or if you're, you identify as one or the other. People, there's a big club And if you think you're a Democrat or you think you're a Republican, guess what? I'm here to tell you, you are not in it. Thomas Sowell, racism is not dead, but it is on life support. And it is being kept alive by politicians, race hustlers, and people who get a sense of superiority. By denouncing others as racists. In a democracy, we have always had to worry about the ignorance of the uneducated. Today, we have to worry about the ignorance of people with college degrees. (laughs) Socialism is a wonderful idea. It is only as a reality that it has been disastrous. Among people of every race, color, and creed, all around the world, socialism has led to hunger in countries that used to have surplus food to export. Nevertheless, for many of those who deal primarily in ideas, socialism remains an attractive one. In fact, seductive. It's every failure is explained away as due to the inadequacies of particular leaders. Or, it's every failure is explained away as due to capitalism. And I've been over that on our previous show. You guys know that. I've made multiple cases in the past about my firm belief that capitalism is one of the biggest scapegoat, ununderstood 
words, not understood, not well-defined, seldom defined, oftentimes inaccurately defined words used in the media and by politicians today. Go back and listen to my Capitalism and Good Old Milty episode. Go back and listen to my The Morality of the Free Market episode. The idea that taxpayers owe it to you to pay for what you want suggests that much of today's education fails to instill reality (laughs) and instead panders to a self-centered sense of entitlement to what others have earned. Amen. Activism is a way for useless people to feel important. Even if the consequences of their activism are counterproductive for those who claim to be helping. I'm sorry, for those they claim to be helping and damaging to the fabric of society as a whole. I love it. If you're going to be an activist, do it smartly and intelligently. Don't do it like a stupid, naive, gullible, ignorant, petulant, immature little child get better get smarter grow up stop making excuses for yourself yada 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 etc 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 thomas soul quote if you are serious about wanting to improve education Do not vote for more money for the education establishment that has been dumbing down the schools for years. Vote for vouchers, tax credits, or anything else that will transfer decision-making power to parents. And I like that idea. But with freedom comes responsibility. And parents, if we lived in a country where that decision-making power was transferred to you, that would mean that you're going to have to be a little bit more responsible about what your children are getting taught in their life on this planet. doesn't matter where good education and not indoctrination comes from. You want to stay away from the, indoctr- the indoctrination and you, you want to actually offer them an education. Teach them how to critically analyze. Teach them how to think. Teach them how to take the role of the other. How to put themselves in other people's shoes. How to be a pragmatic, cooperative, reasonable, logical, not emotional person. One of the mysteries of the ages is why the political left has for centuries lavished so much attention on the well-being of criminals and paid so little attention to their victims. Yeah, these days I feel like you progressive lefties clump criminals and, you know, it's the same thing to you. Criminals are victims. (laughs) You know, you, you continue to... Believe And Thomas Sowell mentioned this in the interview clip I played for you guys. You act like people don't make choices. You act like people 
shouldn't be responsible for their own decisions. You think that everyone is just a robot automaton that needs to get in line and follow the leader, a bunch of lemmings just marching towards the edge of that cliff, getting ready to jump over it. My fellow Americans, in my humble opinion, that's 97% of you. Approximately. (laughs) If you get my drift. Our whole educational system from the elementary schools to the universities is increasingly turning out people who have never heard enough conflicting arguments to develop the skills and discipline required to produce a coherent analysis based on logic and evidence. These people Thomas Sowell is describing right here are not intellectually honest, nor do they have any intellectual curiosity, sadly. Thomas Sowell, quote, I am old. I am so old that I can remember when other people's achievements were considered to be an inspiration rather than a grievance. Oh, boy, people. If that does not sum up how the communist subversion plan for America is working very, very effectively, I don't know what is. We should strive to achieve. We should be inspired by others who achieve. We should strive to be better tomorrow than we were today. I've been over all this stuff, people. And, you know, I really want you guys to ask yourselves, (laughs) why do people believe and think in these ways? Why are children getting in arguments with their parents, telling their parents that they're just not educated and they don't understand The reason why is because your parents didn't go to the same type of schools that you kids are now going to, public schools specifically, I'm talking about. You know, I grew up in Minnesota, which has one of the best public school systems in the country, uh, historically speaking. And boy, I tell you what, my education was infinitely better than what the kids are getting today. And mine really wasn't that good. Moral Bob and I have been over this. Me and Sam Winchester have been over this. We can remember. We got one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world. And that transformation happened within our lifetimes. So you can, a lot of you, if you want to disagree or say that we're lying or say that we don't know what we're talking about, people, we lived it. How can you take a lived experience away from somebody, right? Now, definitions of what a lived experience is vary, but it is quite interesting to watch how many people in our society try to tell people that lived through the reality of some type of horror, some horrific situation, that they're lying or that it didn't happen. The level of narcissism, And the level of being disconnected it takes to really believe that speaks directly to the successes of the brainwashing, mind control, media manipulation, and propaganda campaigns that have been perpetrated against 
you American people by our intelligence communities ever since the end of World War II. Probably started, had its roots even before that. We all know that there have been, I mean, the divide and conquer agenda is as old as the Sumerians. As old as time immemorial, right? I've been over that a million times. You know, the tactics of empire people are pretty consistent over time. All you got to do is look. There's nothing new in this world except the history you do not know. Here we go. Thomas Sowell, quote, The welfare state is the oldest con game in the world. First you take people's money away quietly, and then you give some of it back to them flamboyantly. <laughs> the American Revolution was more than a rebellion against England. It was a rebellion against the whole idea that some special anointed could tell everybody else what to do. No one will really understand politics until they understand that politicians are not trying to solve our problems. They are trying to solve their own problems, of which getting elected and reelected are number one and number two. And whatever is number three is far behind. There was a time when we honored those who created the prosperity and the freedom that we now enjoy. Today we honor the complainers and sue the creators. Perhaps that is inevitable in an era when we no longer count our blessings but instead count all of our unfulfilled wishes. Boy, amen. (laughs) Amen. Round of applause for that quote. Many on the political left are so entranced by the beauty of their vision that they cannot see the ugly reality that they are creating in the real world. Few skills are so well rewarded as the ability to convince parasites that they are victims. (laughs) The fact that so many successful politicians are such shameless liars is not only a reflection on them, It is also a reflection on us. When the people want the impossible, only liars can satisfy. Boy, a national treasure, my fellow Americans. Historians of the future will have a hard time figuring out how so many organized groups of strident jackasses succeeded in leading us around by the nose and morally intimidating the majority into silence. You better think about that, people. He's talking about useful idiots right there. None of the Marxist regimes around the world have ever had as high a standard of living for working people as there is 
in many capitalist countries. Never ask yourself why that is, my left-wing Democrat friends out there. You ever ask yourself why they need capitalism in the most successful welfare state, socialist, communist countries in the world today? You ever ask yourself that? Probably should start asking yourself that. Many issues are misconstrued not because they are too complex for most people to understand but because a mundane explanation is far less emotionally satisfying than an explanation which produces villains to hate and heroes to exalt. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. Too many journalists see their work as an opportunity to promote their own pet political notions rather than a responsibility to inform the public and let their readers and viewers decide for themselves. Many of the great disasters of our time have been committed by experts. One of the bittersweet things about growing old is realizing how mistaken you were when you were young. As a young political leftist, I saw the left as the voice of the common man. But now I know nothing could be further from the truth. The more I study the history of intellectuals, the more they seem like a wrecking crew, dismantling civilization bit by bit, replacing what works with what sounds good. <laughs> This is one of his most famous quotes. It is usually futile to try to talk facts to people who are enjoying a sense of moral superiority in their ignorance. The beauty of doing nothing is that you can do it perfectly. Only when you do something is it almost impossible to do it without mistakes. Therefore, people who are contributing nothing to society except their constant criticisms, can feel both intellectually and morally superior. And people, that's Thomas Sowell hitting the nail on the head with what is going on with this new woke left. The minimum wage law is very cleverly misnamed. The real minimum wage is zero, and that is what many inexperienced and low-skilled people receive as a result of legislation that makes it illegal to pay them what they are currently worth to an employer. That is the most matter-of-fact, logical, rational way of explaining why minimum wage laws are ridiculous. Clearly, if you read Thomas Sowell's book, he's going to go into exceptionally, exponentially more detail about why he feels that way. But just read that and think about it, people. Or maybe not read that, but listen to that. You know what I mean? Okay, I got to be done with the quotes. In fact, I got to be done with uh, the episode uh, because uh, we are running out of time. I went really long today, and I'm not going to play any punk rock music today because Thomas Sowell, the man himself, is punk rock enough for this episode. 
in my humble opinion. But I do want to read one more quote before I leave you good fine people today. And this quote kind of sums up not only everything that I just got done talking about with respect to Thomas Sowell, but basically everything I've been talking about on this podcast since episode one. This is a quote by Congressman Larry P. McDonald, who died in 1976 uh, when he was killed in the Korean Airline 747 that was shot down by the Soviet Union, okay? Listen to this, quote, The drive of the Rockefellers and their allies is to create a one-world government combining super-capitalism and communism under the same tent, all under their control. Do I mean conspiracy? Yes, I do. I am convinced there is such a plot, international in scope, generations old in planning, and incredibly evil in intent. Congressman Larry P. McDonald, 1976. And, uh... That was from uh, Shadow Monkey Seven Seven Seven. I pulled that quote from Instagram. Shadow Monkey Seven 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 on Instagram. Good stuff. Okay, people. Um, I'm gonna end the show today with a uh, little housekeeping. Uh, I recently realized that one of my previous episodes, "What the fuck is a builder burger?" Uh, I somehow had the first segment of my Cancel Karl Marx episode in place of the actual segment where I talked about uh, Neil Young and that streaming service that was owned by that Blackstone company that I uh, floated the theory that they were trying to attack Joe Rogan back in the day uh, because he had such a market share of Spotify, and they wanted to compete with Spotify, blah, 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 right? Uh, well, luckily, I found the right, the correct segment, and I have recently uh, fixed it and reposted that episode. And that's one of my favorites. It's one of uh, my really, uh, I, I put a lot of good information in that show. I'm really proud of that one. So if you're a new listener or if you are a listener that tried to listen to that episode, got halfway through it, got to the Anchor commercial and said to yourself, this isn't consistent. This is a a fuck up. You messed up. What did he do? (laughs) Um, No worries, people. I fixed it. So it's reposted. The right episode is all there. Go back and listen to WTF Whiskey Tango Foxtrot over (laughs) is a builder burger. Uh, and go back and listen to all of my previous episodes. 
I'm going to slowly start uh, recording new ones here soon. This is the first uh, one I've been working on for a while. I wanted to get a lot of good Thomas Sowell uh, biographical information into this uh, show for you good fine people. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt. Donate to the show. Read the show notes. <laughs> Still on episode 24, but... Eh, they're coming, they're coming. Send me an email if you want to talk uh, to me about anything, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you're a punk rock band and you want me to feature your music on the show, send all that stuff to Andrew for America 1984 at gmail.com. And the four in the middle of Andrew for America is not the number four, it is spelled out F-O-R. Uh, go listen to great podcasters, alternative media sources out there, people. It's getting tense. The stage is set and being set for violence in America, in the words of Ron Paul. It's getting a little concerning, a little bit more and more concerning with every passing day. And if you don't start getting into this stuff, people... If you don't start getting into politics, sooner or later, politics is going to start getting into you. In the words of Ralph Nader, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming back week after week and checking out my little show. I appreciate you guys and gals and zers and ers and ids and fairies and pixies. Whatever the fuck you morons want to call yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're not morons. You're not morons. We're all stupid in our own ways. I'm a fucking idiot most of the time. <laughs> I am not exempt from my criticisms of you good fine people. I rip on the progressive left all the time. I know and I'm trying to get better about it. This episode didn't help because I'm talking about Thomas Sowell, obviously. But I am going to get better about it. I'm going to switch up my subject matter moving forward. Uh, had to talk about Thomas Sowell, though. I've been talking about him, about t- been talking about doing a show about him for quite some time. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed and learned a little bit about the man here today. That's the show. <sighs> Take care of each other out there, people. Try to love a little bit more than hate. Try not to get so upset and pissed off. Stop contemplating suicide and stop contemplating going out in the streets and throwing Molotov cocktails at somebody who disagrees with you when you could sit in peace and calm in the privacy of your own home and look inwardly. Educate your mind. Exercise your body. And maybe... Just maybe, you might start solving the problems within you. And then you can start going out into the world now that you're a rational, mature, adult, connected, aware, spiritual person. And go find the other truth-seeking, intellectually curious and honest Amongst you, and join forces. 
and start solving the problems we have here in this country and maybe even the new world. Thanks for listening, guys. I love you. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Good night. We'll see you next time. <laughs> this has been episode 104 of the Politics Soul is punk rock. We'll see you next time. People say, you know, you're 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 a very uh, tough person. I, I'm not tough. Life is tough. I'm merely trying to acquaint you with the, with those facts.